It is the sentence of this court that Theseus Cyprianus be executed with the sword. Cyprian, thanks be to God. Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod President Pastor Matt Harrison speaking at this year's Issues Etc. Making the Case Conference. So, I would rather lay down on this spot and have my head chopped off than give up the Word of God. But with that strong, biblically informed conscience, I shall face my day and age. You shall face this day and age. We will confess Christ no matter what we face. And we will bear witness to a better way in Jesus. Come what may. Amen. You can watch and listen to Pastor Matt Harrison making the case for the Lutheran option from the 2023 Making the Case Conference for a $300 gift by Labor Day. You can access an on-demand video stream or download a podcast of the entire conference. Order today at issuesetc.org. I avoid using pronouns for transgender-identifying persons, and I reject the new vocabulary because I have seen the suffering to which it leads. I often compare Mormonism to like a, a pressure cooker, but it's got no release valve. And they just keep turning up the heat, try harder, and keep improving, keep striving. The Holy Spirit doesn't use errors. He doesn't use false statements. And confidence in certain false statements might actually land you in hell instead of in heaven. Our greatest problem is not suffering. It's suffering and dying without Christ. Higher things attendees receiving free copies of Objections Overruled, Love, Issues, etc. Which comes first, the chicken or the egg? The doubt and the skepticism regarding miracles in the Bible? Or the biblical interpretation method, the higher critical method, that alleges to justify that skepticism. It's hard to tell, but they do always travel together, don't they? Greetings and welcome to Issues Etc., coming to you live from the studios of Lutheran Public Radio in Collinsville, Illinois. I'm Todd Wilkin. Thanks for tuning us in. It'll be part eight of our series on the Lutheran battle for the Bible. Today we'll talk about Seminex and the supernatural. Pastor Bob Dargitz will be our guest. Dr. Carrie Gress joins us. She's author of a new book, The End of Woman, How Smashing the Patriarchy Has Destroyed Us. It'll be part one of a conversation with her on the history and the future of feminism. And then we'll discuss the prosperity gospel with Pastor Chris Rosebro of Fighting for the Faith. Pastor Bob Dargitz is pastor of Emanuel Lutheran Church in Orange, California, and he's author of a chapter in the new book, Rediscovering the Issues Surrounding the 1974 Concordia Seminary Walkout. Bob, welcome back. Thank you, Todd. You were a student at uh, the seminary in Springfield at this time. Often the history is told kind of without reference to that other seminary. We know what was happening at Concordia Seminary. We'll discuss that. What was happening during the Seminex era at Springfield? Well, we had a really good faculty, by and large. There were some people that were recent St. Louis grads on the faculty that were sympathetic to what was going on in St. Louis. And frankly, when Robert Preuss became the president at Springfield, and then shortly after that, Fort Wayne, most of those guys just took calls and left. But we had solid, solid members of the faculty 
Dr. Raymond Serberg, uh, Old Testament, maybe the best-read guy in the Senate at the time. Dr. Harold Bulls, who was a wonder in terms of his ability with Greek and is a Ph.D. from uh, University of Chicago in classics. And um, he was terrific. And we had uh, Wham II, Walter E. Meyer II. We had a lot of really excellent professors, and uh, many of them were, I'm going to say, very vocal. I remember Bulls once made the comment, if the guys at St. Louis aren't fired for being false in their doctrine, they should be fired for being incompetent because they constantly say that, you know, we haven't been understood, we haven't been understood. He says, if they haven't been understood after this long, how can they have anything that they're going to share in a 50-minute classroom session? <laughs> so the Springfield guys were, were good. I went to the senior college in Fort Wayne, and when the day of the uh, moratorium being declared, I happened to be on the St. Louis campus because Howard Tepker was one of our profs at Springfield. He canceled class for a synodical meeting, and so a bunch of us guys that had been at the senior college, we decided we'd, and I say this tongue-in-cheek, visit our heretic friends at uh, the St. Louis campus, and they were still, I can say we had good um, bonding as uh, brothers in Christ. But that was the day that I thank God up and down that he led me to make the decision to go to Springfield because I was uh, sitting with my friends at the meeting that they had where they were contemplating what to do when they had a faculty report and the guy that came in was the recruiter for the St. Louis Seminary who was probably the major guy who recruited me for Springfield by all of his answers. And my friends all stood around me and gave him a standing ovation before they heard a word that he had to say. And I thought to myself, wow, if I had gone to this seminary at this time, I'd either have been incredibly negative or I would have capitulated. I don't think I would have done the latter, but it's just something that that was just an incredible amount of peer pressure. So Springfield, great, great place to prepare for ministry. What were the two competing methods of biblical interpretation in the Lutheran Church, Missouri, Senate in the second half of the 20th century? Well, there was the historical grammatical approach and the historical critical approach. The historical critical approach, frankly, came with an incredible amount of skepticism. It would try to say, well, this could really happen, this couldn't happen. You know, I'd say it was something that by its nature was anti-supernatural. And if it had been consistent, it would have been wholly on an anti-supernatural. And we already saw plenty of problems with that in terms of the kind of things that were coming out of that methodology and approach. Where did the skeptical approach to the Bible and to miracles, you also write about the existence of angels, where did it come from philosophically? Well, it was a time that, I'm going to say there was a lot of uh, stuff, especially out of Europe at the time. And of course, their influence uh, came to America, especially because 
it hadn't been all that long that everybody needed to have a advanced degree, you know, preferably a doctorate of one sort or another. And many of the people got their doctorates in Europe and others that had them in America studied under people that had gotten their doctorates in Europe. And it was a time when, frankly, the faith life of the seminaries in, in Europe was at a pretty low kind of thing. We had people that were trying to be respectable in the academia, and so they adopted a lot of the things that, I'm going to say, were tied in more with a kind of approach that you might see in science. And not that science always has to be that bad, but I want to say is that scientists, they're not going to deal well with things like miracles because it's not something that science is by its nature, I'm going to say, equipped to deal with. Uh, most of the miracles are exceptional. Okay, that's what makes them signs and wonders and, and the like. You know, they, they come from God, and God makes a point by doing something that wouldn't be what you would normally expect otherwise. Uh, it's what makes a sign a sign. You know, makes it something that's to be taken heed of. Who was Rudolf Boltman? Rudolf Boltman was very popular at that particular time in the 20th century. He was an alleged Lutheran. I guess everybody that, you know, was in the part of Germany that he had been in was born Lutheran, whether you you did anything or not. And so it just was one of those things where <laughs> he certainly wasn't somebody that spent a lot of time reading the Book of Concord. He was highly influenced by existentialism. He developed demythologizing, which was his approach to the Bible where you tried to get down to a core once you took away all the stuff that uh, from a modern 20th century scientific point of view just wasn't something that you know he could find acceptable. And he was very popular Boy, he had a whole score of his books that were translated into English and being used at, sadly, quite a number of the, uh, especially the seminaries that were uh, in terms of the whole Ivy League. That's a side story because the Ivy League schools really all started out as you know good places to prepare people for ministry and the like in its earliest days. That's where they build up the largest part of their endowments. And I'm sure a lot of people that contributed money in those early days to places like Princeton and Harvard and that would have, as a phrase we use, I think still today, rolled over in their graves when they would have seen the kind of things that their money was used to support. Who was Karl Barth? Karl Barth is interesting in this, is that he, he uh, is the head of what became known as neo-orthodoxy. And he was that much seemingly much more conservative than Rudolf Bultmann. But in reality, Barth, he approached the Bible and instead of the Bible being looked at as the word of God, he would say that it contained the word of God. 
And if you had an encounter with Jesus through the Bible, well, then it was the Word of God. Well, wow. What is an encounter with uh, Jesus at that point? You know, okay, that passage speaks to me, but this one, instead of just saying, well, maybe I don't understand what's going on in this passage. No, you could discount it and just say, well, it wasn't really the Word of God. And so Barth, he also, boy, and an incredible amount of stuff that's been translated in English, his Church Dogmatics, number of other books that uh, are there. We even had uh, a few profs that were maybe a little bit more uh, sympathetic to Barth, but by and large, at least the Springfield faculty, wow, they knew he was bad news. How did the American philosopher John Dewey indirectly influence biblical scholarship as well? John Dewey, I ran into his influence. I I read a book that was by David Brees, and it was The Seven Men That Rule the World from the Grave. And he did a good job of pointing out that Dewey, he had a lot of influence on especially educational philosophy. It was just remarkable. He's critiqued, I think, pretty well in Gordon Clark's sort of survey of philosophy from Thales to Dewey. And he just points out that Dewey, he avoids the real issues, the real questions in philosophy. And yet, for some reason, people would pick up on what he did. And he, again, became a major influence on those that wanted to steer the philosophy of education as to what kind of things were going to be taught. So he had his, his own areas where he was especially skeptical. He certainly wasn't at all religious. And so he tried to come up with a more secular education. And the devil was successful in allowing him to be somebody that had an incredible impact on especially American education. Pastor Bob Dargitz is our guest. It's part eight of our series on the Lutheran battle for the Bible. We're talking about Seminex and the supernatural. On the other side, which faculty members at Concordia Seminary imported the ideas of Boltman and Barth? If you were unable to attend this year's Making the Case conference, we have good news for you. We've produced a recording of each of the speaker's presentations, all of the worship services, and the hymn sing. You can watch an on-demand video stream or download a podcast for a contribution of $300 to Issues Etc. by Labor Day. Learn more at issuesetc.org or make your $300 check payable to Issues Etc. and send it to Box 83, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234. It's commonly said that heresies are 90% truth and only 10% wrong, but it's the 10% that subverts all of Christian doctrine and all of Christian teaching by the essential errors that they promote. Well, if you're wondering about heresies, both ancient and modern, you should pick up a copy of the August issue of The Lutheran Witness, where we talk about these heresies, their ancient roots, and how to mark and avoid them. Visit cph.org witness to subscribe or learn more at our website, witness.lsms.org. Lutheran Witness, helping you interpret the world from a Lutheran perspective. Confessional Lutherans, we've got your back. You're listening to Issues Etc. 
Charlotte, North Carolina is one of the fastest growing metros in the United States with numerous company headquarters calling the Queen City home. Folks from all around the country have come to Charlotte for its temperate climate and convenient location between the mountains and the beach. If work, family, or vacation brings you to our area, we warmly invite you to join us at All Saints Lutheran Church, the congregation confessional in doctrine and liturgical in practice. Find us online at allsaintslutheran.org. Not everyone is comfortable with new technology. Dial-A Podcast gives all generations of your congregation an easy way to hear your sermons or even devotionals and Bible studies. Once you've completed a simple one-time setup, we take care of the rest. All your congregants have to do is dial the number from any phone to listen to your latest podcast, all at no additional cost to them. Dial-A Podcast. Extend the reach of your sermons. Get started at dialapodcast.com now. It's part eight of our series on the Lutheran Battle for the Bible. We're talking about 7X and the Supernatural. Pastor Bob Dargitz is our guest. He's author of a chapter in the new book, Rediscovering the Issues Surrounding the 1974 Concordia Seminary Walkout. So, Bob, which faculty members at Concordia Seminary imported the ideas of Rudolf Bultmann and Karl Barth? I would say especially the majority of the exegetical department, those teaching Old New Testament, it certainly infiltrated also their systematic theology people. As I think about those that I uh, see an influence in particularly, I think of one would have been uh, Fred Danker. He wrote a book about the Seminex controversy titled No Room in the Brotherhood. He declares in that book that he wasn't that inclined to try to follow the way of the synodical conventions and their pronouncements about what they look for to be taught at the seminary. He preferred to deal with those that he considered to be true scholars in his area. And of course, at that time, most of the universities were committed to the historical critical method. Uh, there are plenty of others. There's a was an excellent sort of a uh, well, booklet of sorts that the Concordia Historical Institute has that uh, was done by Ted May's Memories of the Walkout. And he gets students to talk about the kind of experiences that they had in class. And he has quotes from, uh, well, Walter Bartling, who I think left the seminar just before the walkout, but uh, who had trouble even with the resurrection of Jesus. And then Tim Mashkey, who went on to teach theology at Concordia University in uh, Wisconsin. He remembers uh, Robert Smith, who not only was a faculty member there, but he published one of the old Concordia commentaries before the current set went out. These guys all had problems with the resurrection, had problems with, I'm going to say, the, the inerrancy of Scripture, and with, and with that, an incredible amount of the authority of Scripture. So, talk about Arliss Aylin and how he typified many of the exegetical faculty at Concordia Seminary. 
by equivocating on, in his case, the existence of angels. Arliss Aylin, uh, interesting guy. I think that he was especially candid and honest about his opinions over against some of the others that tried to hide them. And that's, I think, one of the reasons that he got some of the notoriety that he did and became more infamous in terms of our Missouri Senate history. It's sort of a sad thing. He was a brilliant guy. I never met him personally, but some of my friends who went to the senior college with me, they told me stories about how he was just great in the classroom. He'd write the Greek with one hand and simultaneously write the Hebrew underneath it with the other hand. Uh, <laughs> he had just a, a, a real brilliant guy. He ended up leaving the ministry later on and just trying to remember whether he sold insurance or something like that. But he was just honest in his skepticism about the Bible telling us accurately the details of what really happened and would have been somebody that held to the idea that there's a little bit of uh, uh, theatrics in here, you know, uh, trying to give uh, a basic truth, but uh, making it something that you're, I'm going to say, fancifying and uh, maybe for dramatic effect, uh, trying to throw in kind of things that didn't really happen in terms of real space and time. He was well supported by John Teachin, who uh, was the president of the seminary in St. Louis at the time and who had made the statement that he didn't feel that anybody could legitimately teach seminary-level course unless they utilized the historical critical method. Teachin also was somebody that made the comment that we need to be more honest with the people in terms of what we're doing here. And so he revealed what for a long time was going on at the seminary, but was covered up. It was being quietly done in the classroom, but not particularly publicly lauded. How did Aylin treat the biblical account of the Exodus? His approach to the Exodus was that Something happened, but that the account in the Old Testament was, again, highly dramatized, that much of it was there and made sort of uh, theatrical. I say that if you're going to ask him, did Moses, you know, hold out his rod and did the waters part? I don't think you would have got a straight thing and saying, well, yeah, that's what the Bible says. That's what happened. He would have found a way to say, well, they got out of Egypt. Now, I'm probably not the best person to answer absolutely authoritatively that question since I never had Aylin in class. I had friends that uh, did, and they did share some of this stuff with me, but mine's more of a secondhand report. And again, for those that uh, would be interested. I was say, the Concordia Historical Institute, they have a copy of Ted Mays' Memories of the Walkout. It was fascinating to read, especially since I knew so many of the guys that had been made contributions to that book. 
and a number of them uh, talked about their experiences in Aelin's class. What other Old Testament miracle accounts were doubted or even denied by the CSL exegetical faculty? Well, sooner or later, virtually all of them. <laughs> it's just, it's just something. Is that, and it's especially interesting because you, you see what an important part the idea of signs and wonders play both in Old and New Testament. It was the way, according to Exodus four, that. Moses was to authenticate himself as being a spokesman for God before the Pharaoh and before the leadership of Egypt by sticking his hand into his breast and then bringing out his leprous and sticking his hand to his breast again, having it be whole. These kind of things would be, again, looked at as drama, being as something that was trying to, in a fanciful way, make the account more interesting and just okay we're saying in a way that was more memorable that moses represented god and was uh, ultimately noted to be a leader amongst the group that left egypt and formed israel describe the majority faculty's view of the virgin birth wow it's something because you're dealing now with a creedal item, okay, and it was amazing where they uh, were at. I was sort of taken back when I talked to some of my friends that were there at St. Louis, and they looked at things. I might add, I had a guy that I knew from my uh, early days uh, when I had been a student in Ann Arbor who went to River Forest, he had the same kind of a challenge in terms of looking at the virgin birth. The virgin birth, they tried to play a game with the Hebrew that they would take a look and say, well, the word virgin there, why not just uh, take a look at it as a young woman of marriageable age? And I actually heard a couple of my friends I had known from the senior college that went to St. Louis articulate that. And I thought, hey, this is terrible. I mean, it's, how can you confess the Apostles' Creed? Well, I'm going to confess the creeds in general and not take a look at this as integral part of our Christian faith. Well, I pointed to what I learned at Springfield with uh, Dr. Serberg. You know, he says, well, it wasn't just a young woman. I'm saying, what kind of sign would that be? The Lord himself had said it was going to be as high as heaven or as deep as Sheol in terms of the sign that he was going to provide. It's just one of those kind of things where the word is certainly, when you come to the New Testament, the word there is translated parthenos, and even dankards, because a contribution to the Arndt Gingrich and then dankard, the new revised version of Arndt Gingrich, Hey, if you look up Parthenus, it's virgin. Okay, and so that's what the New Testament declares. But again, you'd have people that would say, well, the New Testament, they're just enhancing what was there in the Old Testament. And they might even try to get to where, no, it's this was talking about a young woman of marriageable age in the time of Isaiah. and really doesn't have that much to do with Jesus or whatever. 
it's just sort of, I could say, remarkable as to how a creedal item could be that demeaned. Pastor Bob Dargitz is our guest. The Lutheran Battle for the Bible and the Supernatural is our topic. I'm Todd Wilkin. You're linked to Issues Etc. Concordia Theological Seminary, Fort Wayne, Indiana, trains future pastors to handle the Bible as God's inerrant word. Find out about studying for the vocation of pastor at ctsfw.edu or by calling 1-800-481-2155. Forming Servants in Jesus Christ to Teach the Faithful, Reach the Lost, and Care for All. Concordia Theological Seminary, Fort Wayne, Indiana. Was the resurrection of Jesus exempt from the Concordia Seminary faculty's skepticism? week on The Word of the Lord Endures Forever, we continue our adventures in Acts with back in Antioch and back in the saddle. Timothy joins Paul and Silas, the gospel comes to Philippi, Paul and Silas in jail, and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Join me, Pastor Will Whedon, for The Word of the Lord Endures Forever, your daily 15-minute verse-by-verse Bible study on demand. Listen at thewordendures.org or your favorite podcast provider. How do the global flood, circumcision, and the Israelites wandering in the wilderness foreshadow the baptismal flood in Christ? Find out in the Issues Etc. Book of the Month for August, The Baptismal River, Studying the Sacrament Throughout Scripture. This new Bible study is published by Concordia Publishing House, their phone number 1-800-325-3040, or find out more about The Baptismal River at issuesetc.org, the baptismal river studying the sacrament throughout Scripture. The Lutheran Church Missouri Synod cares deeply for those who protect our nation. Are you or a loved one currently serving? Ministry to the Armed Forces would like to help. We provide devotional literature to encourage faith. Send your mailing address to lcmschaps at lcms.org or call us at 314-996-1337. Those in uniform are comforted with Psalm 28. The Lord is my strength and my shield. My heart trusts in Him and He helps me. Our Christian faith is under constant attack, and we must be proactive in keeping our children in the church. At Faith Lutheran School in Plano, Texas, we believe that an education rooted in God's Word is one that stands against the very gates of hell. Nothing in this world is more important. Offering a rigorous classical Lutheran education, we provide in-person and live online remote learning opportunities for preschool through grade 12. To learn more, visit flsplano.org, flsplano.org. Providing artillery support for the church militant on the front lines, you're listening to Issues Etc. Not only does our church need men right now, but the world needs men who will proclaim the gospel in its purity. Issues Etc. regular guest, Dr. Peter Scare, Associate Professor of New Testament at Concordia Theological Seminary in Fort Wayne, Indiana. If when you go to sleep at night you're thinking about it, my experience with it is this, is that thought won't go away. So if you're going to bed at night thinking about following our Lord and becoming a preacher of this gospel, then I would love if you could come and visit Fort Wayne, our campus. We'd love to show you around and show you what it is that we do. Have you ever considered becoming a pastor? 
Contact Concordia Theological Seminary, Fort Wayne, Indiana at 1-800-481-2155, 800-481-2155, or visit ctsfw.edu. Christ-centered, cross-focused, Concordia Theological Seminary, Fort Wayne, Indiana. Welcome back. I'm Todd Wilkin. This is Issues Etc. On this Friday, August the 18th, it's part eight of our series on the Lutheran battle for the Bible. Today, Seminex and the Supernatural. Pastor Bob Dargitz is our guest. Bob, doubting the virgin birth, doubting the other miracles, the Old Testament miracles, all of them you said, was the resurrection of Jesus exempt from the faculty's skepticism? Absolutely not. And again, that was the thing that was especially interesting in the uh, book that uh, Mays produced that's, again, there at the Concordia Historical Institute. In his memories of the walkout, again, he cites Tim Mashke, who uh, I'm going to say is <laughs> a man of great integrity, great learning, and he talks about it. He said, I was in an exegetical class with Bob Smith and with, he said, if there is a resurrection, wow. Mashke says, I was shocked. After class, he checked with the professor and said, well, what do you mean by that? And he said he didn't see the resurrection affirmed in the Gospel of John, but he wouldn't say that to Grandma Schmidt. Wow. You ought to be able to tell Grandma Schmidt everything. You might not have to use the Greek and Hebrew terms, but what I'm saying is that there's no way that you're going to not say anything. Again, a number of the people were at a Louisiana pastoral conference, and Walter Bartling, Jr., was there. Again, he left the faculty, as I recall, just before the walkout, but he made the comment, I can't answer the question, do you believe in the historicity of Adam and Eve? He says, historicity and facticity are not even in my dictionary. And... He then went on to talk about the point about the resurrection also. He says, don't ask me, do you believe in a six-day creation? I have a problem with the virgin birth, real presence, bodily resurrection. He says, I can't bear the burden of scriptural infallibility. Wow. Now, these are two prominent members of the exegetical department of the St. Louis Seminary around the time of the walkout. And you can be sure that that position was held by many of their teaching colleagues. Wouldn't have been all of them, but virtually all of them showed that they allowed for that when they all walked out together. So if the majority of faculty dispensed with the miraculous up to and including the very resurrection of Jesus, what was left of the gospel at Concordia Seminary? <laughs> It's the kind of gospel that was being, like I say, promoted at so many of the more liberal seminaries throughout the nation. It is not a gospel that really gets serious about the fact that we're sinners, we need to be redeemed, okay, and that's something that God has provided for us by the atonement that Jesus graciously reached out and 
came to fulfill that which God set up so that we could have our sins paid for, dealt with, so that God didn't just say, well, boys will be boys and girls will be girls. We'll just sort of overlook this. No, sin was too serious, and so they were dealt with by Jesus' suffering and death on Calvary's cross. That gospel, the real gospel, wasn't really being taught in terms of those that took seriously everything that was being shared in the classrooms at Concordia Seminary in St. Louis at the time. Now, again, a lot of guys look past it because there were some profs who still, they believed the traditional gospel. They tolerated colleagues that preached something that certainly couldn't be reconciled with, again, not just confessional Lutheranism, but creedal Christianity. Wow, that's just just incredible. And again, we'll leave it for God to judge. I, I suspect that most of the guys I went to school with, I expect that I'll see them in heaven because I don't think that they bought into the totality of what was going on in the classroom. And I think they got swept away by something that at the time was there and popular, you know, hey, we're thinking young men and nurses where our profs are taking us to take a look at things not quite so simplistically. I still, again, I thank God up and down that he led me to go to Springfield and boy, that faculty there were a confessional, creedal Christianity teaching faculty. To what degree did the desire to achieve academic credibility outside the pale of Orthodox Christianity drive the success of this skeptical Bible scholarship at Concordia Seminary? Well, I have to say that I, I think that the actually stated opinion of Danker in his book reflected that of many of his colleagues. And that was that not only they saw themselves as high-class theological experts that were able to hold their heads high, those that were teaching at any of the other seminaries and universities around. They were proud of their academic achievements. And to that extent, a large part of the St. Louis faculty had that kind of a view and I believe had lost sight of being there to just prepare people to serve in the church, to take care of the, quote, Grandma Schmitz, and not to in any way feel that they were being dishonest when they deal with people that were, you know, more intellectual, but at the same time to preach the Christ that's presented in the scriptures. What can we learn from Seminex about the dangers of scholarly pride? Well, when one thinks more highly of themselves than they do of trying to humble themselves before God, your salvation and mine is entirely accomplished by God. It's not something that mm, he needed our help. It's not something that we make any kind of a notable contribution to. And so from that perspective, we just need to 
say, hey, to God be all the glory. I love how my secretary used to put it at the bottom of the bulletin every Sunday, solo deo gloria, to God alone be the glory. That's a hard thing sometimes in our sinfulness for us to step back and say, hey, without God, I am nothing. Without God, I would certainly be separated from him and look to an eternity in hell. But with God and his grace, to God be all that glory, I thank God up and down, and I'll look forward to in heaven being even more perfect in my praise. Pastor Robert Dargitz is pastor of Emanuel Lutheran Church in Orange, California. He's author of a chapter in the new book, Discovering the Issues Surrounding the 1974 Concordia Seminary Walkout. You can purchase this book by calling Concordia Publishing House, 1-800-325-3040, or on the Talk on Demand archives page at issuesetc.org. Pastor Dargitz, thank you very much. Thank you, Todd. A real privilege to be able to speak with you. We will begin a conversation on the history and future of feminism with Dr. Carrie Gress, author of the new book, The End of Woman, next. Was the reformer Martin Luther innovating or in error when he added the word alone to Romans 3.28, for we hold that one is justified by faith alone apart from works of the law? Find out in Pastor Will Whedon's column in the latest Issues Etc. Journal. In the Wittenberg Trail feature, Dr. Donna Harrison details her journey to confessional Lutheranism from Catholicism, Scientism, Mysticism, and Evangelicalism. The free online Issues Etc. Journal. Just click the red Journal subscription button at issuesetc.org. Job saw the city as a wasteland, as if devoid of God, witnessing injustice to the poor by the corrupt, lawlessness of criminals, trafficking of children, blatant immorality, thinking God could not see wicked deeds done in the dark of night. Yet God never abandoned Job, nor his city, groaning for mercy. God is working through the living Redeemer, hands etched with salvation, pointing to the resurrection to come. Join us at lcms.org slash citymission to seek peace and shine the light in the city. The radio voice of the Lutheran faith for the 21st century. You're listening to Issues Etc. Memoria Press award-winning Latin programs have successfully taught hundreds of thousands of students across the world. Their easy-to-use, step-by-step Latin curriculum provides students with an academic vocabulary, a mastery of English grammar, and strong critical thinking skills. If you're interested in learning more, visit memoriapress.com and save $5 on your next purchase by using the coupon code LPR23. Memoria Press, saving Western civilization one student at a time. Lutheran Talk. The cause of our salvation doesn't lie within us, but instead it lies outside of us, namely in the mercy of our God who sends his son to live and die and rise again for us. Lutheran music. Listen anytime, anywhere with the Lutheran Public Radio mobile app. Download for iPhone, Android, and Kindle at issuesetc.org.